0: CHAPTER 35 OF THE RANCHMAN BY CHARLES ALDEN SELTZER THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN TRIUMPH AT LAST A month later, Taylor walked in the front door of the Arrow Ranch House and stood on the threshold, looking over the great sweep of green-brown plain that reached eastward to Dawes. A change had come over Taylor his eyes had a gentler light in them as though they had seen things that had taken the edge off his sterner side and there was an atmosphere about him that created the impression that his thoughts were at this moment far from violence mr taylor said a voice behind him from the front room there had been an undoubted accent on the mister and the voice was one that Taylor knew well. The sound of it deepened the gentle gleam in his eyes. Mrs. Taylor, he answered, imparting to the missus exactly the emphasis the voice had placed on the other. There was a laugh behind him, and then the voice again, slightly reproachful. Oh, that sounds so awfully formal, Squint. Well, he said, you started it. "'I like Squint better,' said the voice. "'I'm hoping you keep on liking Squint all the days of your life,' he returned. "'I was speaking of names,' declared the voice. "'Don't you let her fool you, Mr. Squint,' came another voice. "'For these think a heap more of you than she think of your name.' "'Martha,' said the first voice, in laughing reproof, "'I vow I shall send you away some day.' "'and then there was a clumping step on the floor, "'and Martha's voice reached the door "'as she went out of the house through the kitchen. "'I'm going to the bunkhouse to expostulate "'with that lazy Bud Hemingway. "'He told me this morning he was going to feed them hogs, "'and he ain't done it.' "'And then Mrs. Taylor appeared at the door "'and placed an arm around her husband's neck, "'drawing his head down over to her and kissing him. She looked much like the Marion Harlan who had left the Arrow on a night about a month before, though there was a more eloquent light in her eyes, and a tenderness had come over her that made her whole being radiate. Don't you think you'd better get ready to go to Dawes, dear? she suggested. I like that better than squint, even, he grinned. For a long time, they stood in the doorway very close together and then mrs taylor looked up with grave eyes at her husband won't you please let me look at all of father's note to you squint she asked that can't be done he grinned at her for he added the day after i let you read part of it i burned it it's gone like a lot of other things that are not needed now but what did it say that part you wouldn't let me read she insisted It said, he quoted, I want you to marry her, Squint, and I have done so, haven't I? Was that all? She persisted. I'd call that plenty, he laughed. Well, she sighed, I suppose that will have to be sufficient. But get ready, dear. They will be waiting for you, she left him and went into a room from where she called back to him. It won't take me long to dress, and then, after an interval... Where do you suppose Uncle Elam went?" He scowled out of the doorway, then turned and smiled. He didn't say, and he lost no time saying farewell to Dawes, once he got his hands on the money Carrington left. Taylor's smile became a laugh low and full of amusement. Shortly, Mrs. Taylor appeared, attired in a neat riding habit, and Taylor donned his coat and hat and they went arm-in-arm to the corral gate, where their horses were standing, having been roped, saddled, and bridled by the lazy Bud Hemingway, who stood outside the bunkhouse, grinning at them. Well, good luck, Bud called after them, as they rode towards Dawes. Lingering much on the way, stopping at the malarkey cabin, they finally reached the edge of town and were met by Neil Norton who grinned widely when he greeted them norton waved a hand at dawes as in another time dawes was arrayed in holiday attire swathed in a riot of color starry bunting flags and streamers with hundreds of japanese lanterns suspended festooned across the street and now as taylor and the blushing moist-eyed woman at his side rode down the street a band on a platform near the station, burst into music, its brazen-tongued instruments drowning the sound of cheering. We got that from Lazette, grinned Norton. We had to have some noise. As I told you the other day, he went on, speaking loudly so that Taylor could hear him above the tumult. It is all fixed up. Judge Littlefield stayed on the job here because he promised to be good. He hadn't really done anything, you know. And after we made Danforth and the five councilmen resign that night, and saw them aboard the eastbound the next morning, we made Littlefield wire the governor about what had happened. Littlefield went to the capital shortly afterward and told the governor some things that astonished him, and the governor appointed you to fill Danforth's unexpired term. But of course. THAT WAS ONLY AN EASY WAY FOR THE GOVERNOR TO SURRENDER. SO EVERYTHING IS LOVELY. NORTON PAUSED OUT OF BREATH, AND TAYLOR SMILED AT HIS WIFE. YES, HE SAID, AS HE TOOK HER ARM, THIS IS A MIGHTY GOOD LITTLE OLD WORLD, IF YOU TREAT IT RIGHT. AND IF YOU STAY FAITHFUL, ADDED THE MOIST-EYED WOMAN, AND IF YOU FALL IN LOVE, SUPPLEMENTED TAYLOR. And when the people of a town want to honor you," added Norton significantly, and then arm in arm, followed by Norton, Taylor and his wife rode forward, their horses close together, toward the great crowd of people that jammed the street around the bandstand. Their voices now raised above the music that blared forth from the brazen instruments. End of chapter 35. Recording by Richard Kilmer. San Antonio, Texas. End of The Ranchman by Charles Alden Seltzer.